morning. Yesterday, when we were talking about what we were going to do with the services today, we knew that we were going to have to shift some things. And uh, we're in the middle of this series on uh, what is church. I'm just talking about church through the book of Ephesians. And I was really hesitant to uh, continue preaching that message, uh, that series, because I didn't want to miss a week. I knew there was going to be people who were missing today because of the weather. So I decided to push pause on that. And of course, I've been working on that message all week long. You know, uh, so yesterday I had to come up with something different. Um, about 2 a.m. this morning, I decided what I was preaching on. Um, so it's a little bit of a different day. Uh, and those of you who are new with us this morning, I don't make any apologies for that because God's sovereign and he has a plan and it's his fault that there's snow. Um, and, and actually, some of you might say, uh, no, there's actually all sorts of reasons why it's our fault. It might be global warming or whatever. I don't know. There's... Uh, God, God's sovereign, and he knows what he's doing um, on a day like today. Um, but uh, I don't apologize for this being a different day. But I do want to let you know, if you're new with us, this is a different day than normal. So you just need to know that a little bit. Um, when Dave said, Dave asked me, he said, so you want me to take down the slide for uh, the What is Church series? What do you want me to put up there? And I said, put up Autumn Wonderland. And so he, he put this picture. This is from his backyard yesterday. Um, and... Uh, it's, it's kind of one of those kind of mornings where uh, it's a little bizarre, and we have a hodgepodge of a number of different things going on today, and uh, we have uh, fall colors with snow on top of them, and it's going to be the same thing with the message. As I was sorting through all the different things, you know, I was kind of pulling out some other passages that I've been looking at, texts that I've been working through, and some, some sermons, old sermons that I haven't preached here at Parker Ford before. Um, I, I was just kind of pulling some stuff out and looking to see what it is that uh, I should teach on this morning since we were going to change the plan. And there's a few different things that really stood out to me that I thought might be helpful points. So instead of having one common sermon all the way through this thing, I'm going to make a few different points from a few different messages. And I'm going to be pulling from a couple different uh, passages of Scripture and making a few different points. So uh, if, if you're having a hard time following the train of thought, um, it's because this is like, you know, this is... Uh, the MTV de- generation, and it's uh, quick little snippets and bites of uh, sermons here and there. So um, bear with me, and I hope that you, in, in some of these messages, some of these little snippets, will find something that, that God's communicating to you this morning. We're going to pray in that direction right now. God, you're good, and you alone are good. Everything about us, any goodness that happens in this place or in our lives is only because you're good. It's not because of our own goodness, it's only because of you. So we recognize that, that while uh, things might be bizarre today, there's all sorts of beauty today as well. And all the beauty is because of you. Anything that's not beauty and all the difficult stuff and all the ugliness does stem back to us. But the beauty all stems back to you. All the goodness stems back to you. And we thank you for being who you are and allowing us to be a part of who you are and a part of your kingdom. We thank you and we praise you for that in the name of Jesus. And we ask God now that you would open up your word and uh, make it come to life for us so that we can know more about you today. We can fall more in love with you today. We can understand you more today and we can follow you more. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off. We're, uh, you know, in this series on on, uh, what is the church we're talking about. uh, Last, we talked about the, the church being those who are in Christ. And we talked about those who are in Christ also are those who are in community. And uh, this idea of community, I want to take some time to just unravel that a little more and, uh, and, and think about what that actually looks like for us. And 
so I want to turn to Acts chapter 2, which is a place where I had actually hoped to go um, with our series on what is church anyway. Um, and this gives a more picture, a, a, more of a picture as to what church is, where in Ephesians we're told what to do in order to uh, accomplish church, you know, how church should be. But Acts 2 just paints a picture of the original church. Now I'm going to read from verse 42 to verse 47, okay? And this is a picture of biblical community. This is kind of the definitional picture of biblical community. You've probably heard this passage before. If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard it because we've read it before. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by all the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an amazing picture of the church, isn't it? Pretty intense picture of the church. Depending on where you're at, that might actually be an appealing picture of church or a pretty intimidating picture of church. I mean, it says that every night they met together in each other's homes and that they had everything in common and they gave to each other. Now, if you're a very private person who likes time to yourself, that actually might seem like a pretty invasive picture. If you're a person who's really yearning for more community in your life and, and, and more pursuit of God, that might look like a pretty appealing picture. The idea of community is inseparable from the idea of pursuit of Christ. You can't separate the idea of community from the idea of pursuing Christ. You can't do it on your own. It's impossible. None of us can. And so uh, I want to just for a few minutes here look at what community looks like. Now, what I'm about to do is I'm about to show you a clip, a movie clip, that I think humorously portrays a little bit of what uh, community is about. I don't usually do this. I don't think I've ever done this here. I don't know. Um, and uh, I, when I thought of that, I thought, uh, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not or if I'm going to catch flack for showing a little bit of a movie clip in church. Where I, and Jen said, it's a snow day. You can get away with anything. There's grace on a snow day. So I'm claiming the snow day. All right, so uh, we're going we're gonna to run a little picture here from The Wizard of Oz. Tigers and bears. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Put him up, put him up. Which one are you first? I'll fight you both together if you want. I'll fight you with one paw tied behind my back. I'll fight you standing on one foot. I'll fight you with my eyes closed. Oh, pulling an axe on me, eh? Sneaking up on me, eh? Why? Here, here. Go away and let us alone. Oh, scared, huh? Afraid, huh? <laughs> How long can you stay fresh in that can? 
Come on, get up and fight, you shivering junkyard. Put your hands up, you lopsided bag of hay. Now, that's getting personal, Lion. Yes, get up and teach him a lesson. Well, what's wrong with you teaching him? Uh, well, well, I hardly know him. <coughs> well, I'll get you anyway, Pee-wee. <coughs> Shame on you. What did you do that for? I didn't buy them. No, but you tried to. It's bad enough picking on a straw man, but when you go around picking on poor little dogs. Well, you didn't have to go and hit me, did you? Is my nose bleeding? Well, of course not. My goodness, what a fuss you're making. Well, naturally, when you go around picking on things weaker than you are... Why, you're nothing but a great big coward. You're right. I am a coward. <laughs> I haven't any courage at all. I even scare myself. <laughs> Look at the cycles under my eyes. I haven't slept in weeks. <laughs> Why don't you try counting sheep? That doesn't do any good. I'm afraid of them. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Don't you think the wizard could help him, too? I don't see why not. Why don't you come along with us? We're on our way to see the wizard now, to get him a heart. And him a brain. I'm sure he could give you some courage. Well, wouldn't you feel degraded to be seen in the company of a cowardly lion? I would. Oh, of course not. <laughs> Gee, that's, that's awfully nice of you. My life has been simply unbearable. Oh. Well, it's all right now. The wizard will fix everything. It's, it's been in me so long. I just better tell you how I feel. Well, come on. Yeah, it's sad, believe me, missy, when you're born to be a sissy without the feminine vibe. So why would I read Acts chapter 2 and then show Wizard of Oz? I don't know. Because it's a snow day. That's why. Uh, when you look at, at this picture and you think about that scripture that was just read, you, you understand what's going on. You know, the lion's trying to puff out his chest there and he has to, you know, he's in that competitive state with everyone around him trying to defend himself. And then something breaks down. And when it breaks down, you realize that there's something missing in this in this guy, and he gets vulnerable for a minute when someone calls him out and speaks the truth to him. And when they speak the truth to him, nail him between the eyes, he breaks down, and he's able to actually join the community at that point, isn't he? He was separating from the community, defending himself. He was an individual. And then all of a sudden, he has to come to terms with what his issues are. And as soon as he realizes there's a weakness in him and that somehow it connects with the weakness in these other people, they all have a common goal. They have one common goal. What's the goal? To find the wizard to find the wizard because they need to be healed. And they all know they need to be healed, and they all know that they can't be healed themselves. It's the funny thing about biblical community. When we're uh, together in community, there's, there's one aim and there's one goal, and it's to pursue Christ. We, don't, we can't actually fix each other, but we do need each other. We need each other in our pursuit of Jesus. 
The goal is that we find him. He's the healer. He's the one who can provide for us. We can't do that on our own. This is why in Acts 2.42 there it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. And you see what they're doing is they're, they're having communion together. They're digging into the word together. They're pursuing the king together. They all have need. They're all broken. The, sometimes when we read this passage of scripture, we might not recognize about all the, uh, you know, all the flaws and failures of that community. It looks a little bit idyllic in that, in that passage. You know, everyone's together, they're sharing everything. But you know, they just had all sorts of baggage, right? I mean, even though the Messiah had come and had risen from the dead and had just left and everything, they still were human and they had all sorts of issues. But the reason they nurtured those relationships, the reason that they stayed together, the reason they met together every night was to encourage each other and to push each other further in their faith. Now, we know that we need each other in order to go further in the faith, but there's a whole other level of community. I, when I was in uh, when I was at Moody, I remember kind of my eyes being opened to a different level of community. I had a professor who, he, he said to me once, he said, Tim, when Jesus says, I, I believe it, this was the passage, he says, when Jesus says you are the light of the world, was he talking to you? And I was like, yeah, I guess so. I mean, like, I guess I am light of the world. And he's like, sometimes as Americans, it's really easy for us to, to every time we read the word you in scripture, to think it's talking to me because we're individualists. But he's like, actually, that, that's talking to the church. You, as the church, are the light of the world. And you can't be the light of the world on your own. You need the church. You need one another to, to be the light of the world. And one of the wonderful things about um, our modern society is that we do get personal. And we realize that our relationship with God is not just a corporate one, that we have our own individual relationship with God. And yet there's this other aspect that it's very easy for us to pendulum swing and to get to a place where we only interpret our relationship with God personally. And what, the, what my professor was trying to communicate to me uh, uh, was uh, that we're individually responsible in our faith, but we're only corporately capable of achieving what it is that God called us to. Each one of us has a call and each one of us has a responsibility, but it's only together that we can actually be what we're supposed to be. Individually, we're each accountable to God. But actually, together is where we're rewarded. You know, we're each valuable to God, but it's only together that the true beauty and and the love of God is revealed. When God says that he loves us, he does love each of us individually, but you watch in scripture, he loves his bride. He loves the church. And there's this picture of the corporate you versus the individual you. And when you watch these guys in, in their journey here uh, in, the, in the Wizard of Oz, there's something that begins to happen as they move down the path looking for the wizard is they begin to find some things in each other. And at the end, what it turns out that they really needed was they needed a level of validation, right? And they, they don't get someone, no one puts a heart inside of the tin man or a brain inside, but they find a level of validation. They find the love of God, metaphorically speaking, and it happens through, they're, they're in this journey with each other. And the whole way our faith needs to be worked out is in community. And so I just want to challenge us this morning. This is the mini message number one, you know, is that we can't do this on our own. And sometimes we can't do it on our own because we actually need help from others, but we really can't do it on our own because the ball field, the practice field, the, the way we work it all out is with each other in these relationships. And our faith has to be expressed through the relationship and only to the extent that we build the bonds between us and work at, at expressing our faith with each other can we actually achieve what it is that God wants us to as a whole 
becoming the church. And so there's a real need for us to build those bridges, to build those uh, connections with each other. And that takes some discipline. I mean, it means that we have to share meals with each other. This passage actually says that they met in each other's homes and they broke bread together. They shared meals. And, uh, you know, I don't know when the last time it is that you've decided to have believers over to your house and just enjoy one another's company. It takes covenant relationships. These are relationships where we're not just social, we're actually helping each other walk further in our relationship with God. And we're saying to each other, hey, can you hold me accountable to this? Can we read scripture? Can we pray together? You know, and it takes these asserted efforts at community. And so I, I want to just ask you to think for just a second right now about where it is that you are making time and effort and taking the energy to invest into the relationships with other believers to recognize this relationship with God isn't just about me. It's about us. And I got to nurture the us if I'm going to build the relationship with him. And as a church, we desperately need this stuff. I mean, we need community. And that doesn't happen through church programming. It's not church programming that makes relationships work. It's people making efforts to get real with each other. And like the lion, you can sit there and say, you know, put them up and be all tough and hold our image out. But really, we got to get to a place with people where we can get honest about what's really going on inside of us. And we got to air it out. And, and, and get honest and then pray for each other and go to the king and look for, for help. All right, that was message number one, all right? Shake it off. Here we go. Message number two. Um, message number two is, is real simple. Uh, it's John, and I don't even have this one for the screen. I, I apologize for that. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can turn. It's one verse. It's John 15, 5. I am the vine, and you are the branches. That was impressive, Maddie. Thank you. I am the vine, and I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. When we engage in community, here's the other thing, is that, you know, we're desperately insecure. Most of us, at the core of who we are, there's insecurities. And we are unable to get past ourselves and really care about other, other individuals. And if we're supposed to be a community working things out, it takes the fruit of the Spirit to make that stuff work. But we also don't have the power to do that on our own. And this is the, one of the definitional pictures in Scripture that Jesus gives us. He says there's a vine. And uh, I, I had this, I'll tell you a story. At, at our last home in Ephrata, I had this beautiful flowering cherry tree. And it was, it was our favorite tree. We had, uh, it was great landscaping in this little yard we had. And this one tree, uh, um, it, wasn't a, it wasn't like a weeping cherry. It was just an ornamental cherry tree. It put off beautiful pink blossoms every year. And it was sitting right outside of our kitchen window, only about five feet from our kitchen window. So like our whole window in, in the spring would just like be full of all these flowers. It was great. Well, for the first year, that was all good. And then next spring, it came around and all the trees around us were blooming except for that one. And I kept thinking, I wonder when that's going to bloom. And I went out, and I'm working on the yard, and I wasn't even really thinking about it one day, and I came walking past it, and I walked right past the tree, and I stop, and I turn around, and there's spider webs all over this tree. And there's no leaves on it, there's no blooms on it, nothing. And I'm like, wow, that tree's dead. You know? <laughs> ding, ding, ding. And so I, and I'm like, what's going on? Why is it, it was a new tree, everything was fine last year. So I go and I start digging around it. And here, it was, you know, the, you know those, uh, Sometimes under the mulch, landscapers will put down the plastic to keep the, the, uh, the uh, weeds from growing up. Well, they had put plastic all the way right up to the trunk, okay? And so there was no way for rain to get down in there. And the, and the, and the uh, 
there was there was the soil underneath of it wasn't moist at all. It was completely dry, and so it had killed it. And uh, the the picture that Jesus gives us here in John 15 is it says basically there's a tree. In, in this case, a vine. And that has branches. And we're the branches, and he's the vine. And coming out of those branches, there's supposed to be fruit. In the case of my tree, there were supposed to be beautiful pink, pink flowers, you know? In the case of the, the life in the spirit, it's supposed to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, the fruits of the spirit. And we're supposed to be able to produce these things and Jesus is, is the trunk of the tree or the vine that we're connected to. And we're supposed to be able to resource everything that we need from that trunk in order to produce what it is that we're called to produce. The problem is this. So often we take this branch and we try to squeeze everything we can out of our lives in order to do what it is that God's called us to do. If I join the community, I'm going to work really hard at caring for this person. And I'm going to try not to get angry when this person does this and all of that. And we focus on how to do things right. But what Jesus says is, there's one way to bear fruit, and it's to remain in him. It's not about our efforts. It's not about our attempts in how we deal with other people. There's one thing we can do that can get us to a place where we can actually live our lives the way we're supposed to. And it's if as the branch, instead of focusing on the fruit and trying to produce the fruit and doing what we're supposed to, if instead we turn back to Jesus and we dig into him and we find everything we need in him, then he fills us up so that we can pour out. And what happened with that tree in my, in my home is that there was, no, there was no water that could go up through the roots and get into the trunk, and so the branches didn't have anything coming from the trunk, and therefore they couldn't produce the flowers. And in the same way, so often, if we don't look to Jesus, then we can't get the juice that we need to produce the fruit. And what's the juice? The juice is the sap in the tree, the sap coming through the, fu- through the vine. And you know what that sap is, right? That's the living water. That's the Holy Spirit. See, when we connect with Jesus, the Holy Spirit flows into our lives. And the power that we don't have on our own, it begins to flow through the branches and and he begins to produce his fruit. And the only way to gain the Holy Spirit is not by just working hard to do what it is that I'm supposed to do. I gain it by, by working very hard at building the connection between myself and Christ. And so when I find my need to connect with community, my job is not simply to to man up, to effort myself in order to love others and and to play ball with the community. My job is to run to Christ and to dig in deep into Christ and allow him to fill me in order to be uh, what it is that I need to be. That being said, that's uh, message number two, but I want to take a minute and just pray for that for us as a community. Okay, let's pray. God, uh, we don't have the ability. We, We recognize that we're called to be a community. And we recognize that that takes... Uh, a very special kind of glue binding us together. And that even though we're weak and, and even though we're, we're at the core uh, insecure and selfish and things like that, you have an ability to overcome that and produce your fruit. And you have an ability to bind us together. And we know we're supposed to be in this relationship with one another, but we can't do it well on our own. And so our real hope is that the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells us and gives us the ability to love one another and to care for one another and begin to produce the fruit that you have for us. And so, God, I'm just asking this morning that you would make it clear to each one of us. For some of us, what it means is we need to get to a place of rest, and we need to rest in you more and just take time to read your word and and, uh, be in prayer and connect with you. For others of us, 
what needs to happen is we need to get in action and we need to give space for your Holy Spirit to move in our lives and, and we need to get off our tails and do something, you know? Uh, but whatever it is, we recognize that there's a place to actually keep pace with you, to rest with you, to connect to the vine. And, and God, I ask that you would help us each in our own lives to know how we can personally connect to the vine so that we can corporately come together to express the fruit that you have designed for your church to, to express. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Switching gears. Once more. You see, it's like autumn wonderland. Isn't it? It's like crazy in here, isn't it? Um, you know, sometimes when God gives us a, when he gives us a task, the thing that it looks like God wants isn't actually the thing that he wants the deepest. God baits and switches us. That's, he does that sometimes. He's allowed to. He's God. And uh, sometimes there's, he'll, he'll just give us a mission and we'll go after the mission and we're doing what we think we're supposed to. And yet underneath of it, he's actually trying to accomplish something else. And this is what happens to David. Um, and I want to read to you uh, uh, about King David. David had just finally gotten to a place in uh, the kingdom where he could kind of settle in a little bit. Life had been crazy. Saul had been chasing him all over the place. He had been jumping from here to there. Finally, he's able to settle in, and he's king over all of, the, all of Israel. And when he gets there, this is what it says, 2 Samuel 7, 1. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. You see what happens is, David had had a rough, he had had it rough, and his life had been brutal. But by the time he gets to this place where things had leveled off and he was on top, he recognizes just how inappropriate it is that he's in a house of cedar. And cedar, that's like, that's the, that's the way to go in that day. You know, it's a nice home, cedar home. And he's in this cedar palace, and he's like, but God, who I love, is sitting over here in a tent that we call the tabernacle. And he's still over here in the tent while I'm in the lap of luxury. That's not okay with me. You know my heart, guys. I'm the one who, you know, used to sit out on the hill with the sheep singing praises to God. I'm all about, you know, honoring God. And I need to do something to honor him. And so I'm going to build a temple. And so he talks to Nathan about this, the prophet Nathan. And Nathan, his initial response is he said, yeah, whatever's on your heart, go and do it. Now, why did Nathan say that? Because is this a good idea? It's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, does God deserve the palace or does David deserve the palace? God deserves a palace, of course. It was a good idea. Does he have good intentions? Is this selfish? No. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful intention. So Nathan says, yeah, go and do whatever it is God wants you to do. Nathan goes home that night, the prophet, and he goes to sleep. And when he goes to sleep, God comes to him in a dream. And in the dream, he says, tell David that I don't want him to build the temple. And so he comes back the next day, and he says to David, hey, David, uh, God doesn't actually want you to do this. Now, if you know anything about David when you read in the scriptures, this would have been a pretty disheartening thing for David. David's a guy who pretty much when he set his mind to something, he got it done. I mean, he, he killed a lion and a bear with his bare hands. He dropped the Goliath, you know, the, the giant. He, he was used to kind of getting it done. He would take care of the Philistines, do whatever he needed to do. And his greatest hope is to honor God. And here he has a chance to build a temple and to make this beautiful place for God. And, and with all of his wealth, this is what he wants to do, a great, valuable uh, intention, and yet God says no to him. Why? <laughs> you know, I, uh, 
I did, I, I've been in Ireland a few times, and uh, I did my internship in Ireland. And at first, the first couple times I went to Ireland, I just, I fell in love with the place, you know. Um, but then eventually what ended up happening is I really felt like I was supposed to be there. My heart started to really kind of pound for the motherland, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I really wanted to to do ministry there. I did an internship there, spent some time in Ireland, and uh had a couple offers to go over and do some mission work there. And uh, as when Jen and I got married, I had one in particular. Now listen to this. If you know me and you know this setup, this is you'll, you'll understand the, the situation. That there's this one beach town in Ireland called Tremor, okay? And in that town, they had a Bible study going with some of the ladies in the town, but they had no connection with any of the, the men. They couldn't kind of build inroads with the men, and they were trying to help strengthen the faith of men there. And so they asked me, and they said, look, the guys in this town, they do basically two things. They surf, um, and they play soccer, and they said, oh, and there's one other thing, they hang out at the pubs. And so they're like, we want you to come over um, and surf and play soccer and hang out at the pubs with them and get to know them and, and, you know, work to build inroads into the community with the men there. And uh, if you think about, um, you know, my passions in life, and what I've done with my life prior to this, uh, prior to this time in my life, and uh, the training I had, and all, all of that, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? I mean, everything, the, the stars just aligned. And, they, and out of that blue, this mission, this mission board called me and said, yeah, we, we're going to put this together. We have funding for it and everything. Uh, why don't you just come and do this? And so I was like, huh, that sounds like a plan. Um, and then we prayed about it. And you know what? God said no. We had no peace about it. Jen and I actually even went over to Ireland and scoped it out and everything. And the whole time we were there, it was like everything I had appreciated about Ireland before, it was like I couldn't feel it. Like it wasn't there. God was obviously not opening the door for us. And, uh, and it, everything about it seemed perfect. Sometimes in life, we think we have a bead on what God wants for us. And then all of a sudden, we just don't know. You know? Have you ever been in that spot? Where, like, things seem to be falling into place, but then all of a sudden you hit this space, and it's like, where'd God go? You know, where, where, I thought we were in a line here and going a certain way, and then all of a sudden it seems like it's not working. And who can understand and know the mind of God? So why does God say to David, no? Why does he tell him no? He had such a great idea. The whole thing seemed perfect. God answers in, in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 28.3. It says, um, he tells David, why not? He says, it says, God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. You're a warrior and have shed blood. Now, what does that mean? Now, there's all sorts of commentators who question, well, if you shed the blood, then it means that you can't, um, you know, consecrate the temple because your hands are dirtied and all of that. And there may be some truth to all of that. The one thing that's very clear, though, it, it, God doesn't explain himself as to why David shedding blood keeps him from being able to build the temple. This is what he says, though. He says, you are a warrior. That's what you are. You're not a temple builder. You're a warrior. I'm reading into that. Um, yeah, you fight people. Don't build the building. It's not going to be that cool if you build it. You know, I, I, maybe it's not that, but, it, but what's clear is that there's a calling on David's life. God had called him to something, but just because of the nature of that calling, it excluded him from other things. Have you ever thought about this? That like 
because God made me to do some things, it inevitably means that I can't do other things by nature of who I am. If, if you become president of the United States, try being an undercover CIA agent after that. You know, it won't work. The nature of calling excludes you from, from doing something else. You know, and, and that's when we choose something, it inevitably means that we choose against a whole bunch of other things. When I choose Jen as my wife, there, it means there's a whole bunch of other people I'm not choosing as well, you know? And, uh, and, and that's the way it works. And when God chooses us, for us to do something, he's choosing against all sorts of other things for us to do. And sometimes those of us who are driven and want to do things and want to accomplish for God, we got to come to terms with that. Sometimes we have to come to terms with so, so the most successful people in the kingdom of God are not only the people who know what it is they're wired to do, but they know what it is that they're not supposed to do too. And they're able to let go of all of that stuff and say, you know what, I'm not going to get all messed up. And it doesn't mean that the basic responsibilities that God gives to, to Christians aren't all of ours. We all have the basic responsibilities of the faith. But when it comes to my specific calling, what God's calling me to, sometimes I have to be willing to let go of something that I actually have a deep passion for. And I have to let go of the fact that I can't do it. Now, there's one other thing about this. David doesn't just kick back and say, all right, well, that's cool. Now I don't have anything to do. I'm going to move to Hawaii and, you know, sip on margaritas and do whatever, you know, and like not care anymore. That's not at all what he does. As a matter of fact, he does something radically different than this. Watch what, what he does in, uh, it says in First uh, Chronicles 22.5, David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. See, God had told him that, he was, that Solomon was going to build the temple, his son. And he said, My son Solomon is young, young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the light of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. And in 29.3, it says this, Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God over and above everything I have provided for his holy temple. So you see what he does is he has a passion to build this temple for God. God says he's not allowed to do it. It'd be easy for him to just wash his hands of it now and say, all right, if I can't do it, I can't do it. But that's not what he does. Instead, he still recognizes that this thing needs to happen. And so he's going to do everything he can to set his son up for success. So he spends all his time and energy building warehouses full of all the things that Solomon's going to need. And then he takes his personal treasury, his 401k, whatever, and he uses it in order to invest into this temple of God because he still believes that strongly in it. He hasn't distanced himself from it. Instead, he's still investing. He's just not the one who's going to get the credit or the glory. And yet he's still going to do everything he can to make it possible. This is a beautiful picture of biblical community and of generational faith. A beautiful picture of it. One of the things that I think, one of the reasons why God sometimes doesn't allow us to do certain things in our life is because, again, what he says he wants accomplished isn't always the big deal. It's what he's trying to do along the way. It, may look, it might seem like building this big temple in Jerusalem on Mount Zion is a really important thing. And David, of course, was totally invested into it. And it's this big deal. But you know what the bigger deal is? is that the temple in the New Testament is made up of people, not of stones. And Josh just talked about that when we were praying over the Minnicks and the Jaegers. 
And what God's doing is, is he's painting a picture through this whole thing that it's not just about David building some building. What he's trying to do is build a generational relationship between he and his son where he's taking Solomon and he's taking David and he's making them work together and he's showing a picture that what I really want here is not just some building. What I want is the partnership between my people and someone thinking beyond themselves, beyond their generation, beyond their own glory and getting to the place where they can actually invest into the kingdom of God without anything personally that they stand to benefit from, you know? And when that happens, God's actually building his true temple. And you see, in David's mind, it's like the temple's the big idea, but God's actually working at something else underneath of it. And I think one of the important things for us to remember in our own gifts, in our own callings, is that there are limitations, And sometimes God just says no. And sometimes even when we could have accomplished something and we had the means to accomplish it, God still says no. Because he's working on something deeper. And the only way that we continue to see what it is that God wants, despite him saying no, is if instead of just checking out, we decide we're still invested. Even though I'm not the one who can do this, I'm still invested. So I'm going to get behind whoever it is that can do this and I'm going to support them and I'm going to invest into them and I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to do everything I can to help them accomplish what this thing is because it's on my heart, it's on God's heart, it's in God's mind and yet I can't be the one to make it happen which puts me in a much more humble and servant, uh, you know, place of servanthood where I have to serve the other person. And that's a beautiful thing. That's a picture of the kingdom of God. You know, uh, it's a... Sometimes pictures like that um, help encourage me when I'm in a place where we're uh, losing people like the Minnicks and the Jaegers, you know, and there's, uh, there's sorrow when uh, we see people who have really served our church well and served our church faithfully. And now um, God's going to relocate them and they're going to bless some other church and do a wonderful thing in the kingdom of God. But you know what? It means that God has a plan for someone else to, to fill those spots and to do something special here. And that's a beautiful thing. It's the picture of David saying, well, obviously God doesn't have this in mind here, but we can get behind whoever it is that God does have in mind and we can resource them and pray for them. It's, it's a beautiful picture. All right. I'm going to do one more, okay? I'm going to do one more. And I don't, we don't have scriptures for this one either. Um, but I, actually, we might. Did I give you 1 Samuel 23? 1 Samuel 23, 1 to 5. Awesome. This is another one about David. Real simple one. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go, attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? Uh, Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock, and he inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. Have you ever been in one of those places where God calls us to something and we know it is the right thing and yet the circumstances of our lives can't handle it? You ever been there? This is kind of different than the other one. The other one was like, I want to do it. I want to get there. And God's saying no. 
But then there's the flip side, isn't there? And the flip side is when God's saying, I'm supposed to do this, and I'm called to do this, and this is what we're supposed to be about, and yet I can't do it. And you see, David comes to these guys, and he says, well, God told us there's this injustice happening over here, and we're supposed to go and fight for this injustice. And they're like, David, are you kidding me? Like, the Philistines are ruthless. I'm scared to death in my own home right now. You know, I can't, I can't do this. It's, it's, it'd be like if someone in our society right now, if you came to someone in a terrible economy and they're having a hard time paying the bills and all of a sudden you come to that person and you say, look, God's calling us to financially invest into this thing over here. And it's like, are you kidding me? Have you seen the stock market lately? Have you seen that I don't have a job? Have you seen, you know, whatever, you know, and that's kind of what's going on. That here they are in fear and they're afraid the Philistines are going to come and get them. And yet God's telling them to go and attack the Philistines in this place of injustice. And so what does David do? He does something beautiful. He says, okay, I'm going to double check with God. I love that. Instead of just being like, you guys are morons. Come on, let's go. Like instead he's like, I'm going to double check with God. And so he goes back and he prays. And he says, God, are you sure that this is what you want? And God says, I got you. Go ahead. You know? And he goes back and he says, says to them, no, God legitimately called us to this. In that moment, David builds a whole lot of confidence with his people because he was willing to take a break, go and listen to God and double check. He comes back. They're like, okay, God said we're supposed to do this. They go and they fight. And God gives them a spectacular victory against the Philistines. If you're in a spot right now, or if you feel like our church is in a spot or anything like that in your life where it's been tough, you're, you're kind of weary, you're spread too thin, you're a little scared of stepping out into what it is that God has for you. Know this, that right then is the moment that God wants to give you the victory. Right then and right there, when you are completely spent, when you have nothing left, he's finally got you to the place where it's like he can reveal his glory. Okay? So here we are. We're at the end of ourselves. We can't do this anymore. God, it doesn't make any sense. And God's saying, it's okay. I'm telling you to do it. Go. And if you go and do this today, I will give you victory, and you will see the fruit of your faith. Now's the day of faith. Amen? Amen. All right. I hope in all of that madness that God found a way to speak to you about something today. Um, Join me in prayer.